Thank you, Paula, for expressing our hearts today. We want to know him. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And to know Christ is to discover that he is everything we need. Will Williman tells about going to visit a woman who was um, fighting a desperate battle against cancer, gasping day after day for breath. And uh, every day she clutched a a carving uh, from Europe, a little carving of a cross with Jesus on the cross. It was a symbol of her faith. And when Willimon entered the room one afternoon, he knew she would not be in the world much longer. He said, would you like for me to pray for you or should I summon a priest? And with her last ounce of energy, she held out that cross with Jesus on it and said, thank you, but I already have a priest. I wonder if you needed a priest, where would you go to find them? And how would you be able to identify a priest if you saw one? Hebrews chapter 7 tells us Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is more than a figure carved out of wood, but one who was crucified and rose from the dead, who once and for all made the sacrifice for our sins, who intercedes for us so that we can come boldly to the throne of God's grace. Someone asked Nelson Fanini, the Brazilian Baptist president of the Baptist World Alliance, should I pray to God or to Mary? His answer helps us. He said, when you're sick, do you call your doctor or your doctor's mother? We know Jesus became the high priest. But what are we to make then of those passages in the Scripture that talk about priests? Like the one last week we studied in Malachi chapter 1 where they were offering less than the best offerings. Or like those in the New Testament that say we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. If Jesus is our great high priest, who are the priests? And what are they supposed to do? Would you open your Bibles with me to Malachi chapter 2, verse 1? Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. The title of our message, Empty Buckets. Empty Buckets. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. Next week in verse 10, I'll begin to talk with you about the covenants that we have. For some of us, it's a covenant of singleness, single-mindedness before the Lord. And for others, a covenant of marriage and what God has to do with all of that. But today, God's covenant with priests. Let's stand together for the reading of His Word. Malachi 2, verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant 
with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him this call for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. You may be seated. A priest had two roles, if I can simplify, maybe even oversimplify, to represent the people to God with sacrificial offerings so that atonement could be made for their sins. And the second responsibility, and more important according to chapter 2, is to represent God to the people, to be one who so lives the truth that he may lead others to the truth. And if you read about the priests in the Old Testament, there are examples, good examples, like uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, verses 10 to 13, we read about Phineas, who is the grandson of Aaron, who is the representative priest. In fact, I think when Malachi writes about Levi here, he has Phineas in mind, one of the tribe of Levi, who when all the people had desecrated and dishonored the name of God, was willing to stand for the honor of God's name. And when God saw Phineas do that, he said, you have honored me and I will honor you. I make a covenant with you and your descendants. You will be my priests. You will walk in my truth and you will lead others to the truth. And sometimes they did that well. And sometimes, like Eli and his sons, they did not do that well. And God would have to raise up a Samuel who had that prophetic role of speaking on behalf of God to the people. But when we read in the New Testament, we discover that the fact that Jesus is our high priest, far from taking away our need for a priest, means that instead of there not being any priest, that we are, as believers, all priests. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. But you are a holy priesthood. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a royal priesthood called to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. You will be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And when we are priests to each other, when we are at our best, we do what Malachi describes Levi as doing. We walk with God in such peace and uprightness that our lives and ministry become the ministry of turning other people away from sin. So can I ask you, who is your priest? Who, when you are tempted, holds you accountable and turns you away from sin? Because that person is a priest to you. And I, I wonder this morning, to whom do you offer that ministry? Who, when they are tempted, you, by your life and witness, turn them away 
from sin. I have friends like that. Friends in this congregation, fellow pastor friends who hold me accountable, who look me in the eyes, who minister to me by turning me away from sin. And if you accept my definition that the priest is the one who in verse 6 it says turns others away from sin. Have we ever needed priests more than we do today? Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. But you and I become this kingdom of holy royal priests who hold each other accountable, who turn each other away from sin. And you may ask, how do we do that? And my answer is, based on verses 5 and 6 and 7, the same way Levi did, we are those who walk with God in the truth. That's what God has always wanted. I don't have time to explain this morning, but just going back to Genesis, that was the deal with Adam and Eve. God just wanted to walk with them. It's Micah saying, what has the Lord required of you? But to walk humbly with your God. God wants us to walk in step with Him. In the New Testament, keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians says. We are to walk with God. And to walk with God is, he says, to live a life of listening for God's voice. Verse 1, he has this against those priests that They're no longer listening to God. They can no longer recognize God's voice because they have closed their ears. Unlike the disciple that Isaiah mentions who has given, who's been given the ear of a disciple to hear God's voice. They have lost the ability to discern God's voice. And may I speak to the teachers in our midst and say the only credential that is required and essential for those who speak for God is that we first Listen for His voice as He speaks to us by His Spirit through His Word. And we must not presume to speak for God if we have not sat in His counsel. John Piper tells about a pastor here in Texas whose congregation said to him, please feel free to say this to me. They said to their pastor, we have heard from the editorialists. We have heard from the economists. We have heard from the politicians and the advice counselors, and the pundits. Does God have anything to say to us? We need to hear from God. In Forbes magazine back in the 1940s, some writer said, this is what America needs from its ministers. Ministers who will stay long enough listening to hear the voice of God so that when they speak, we may discern a different voice, a distinctive voice, a voice that is different from the cacophony of voices we hear in the world around us. And it becomes our responsibility as priests to each other to listen to God's voice and to enter into this covenant. He says, my covenant Notice in these verses, verse 5, was a covenant of life and peace. God says, I'll give you life, I'll give you peace if you'll receive it. If you will live a life of truthfulness before me, I will give you a life of fullness. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal. John 10, 10, I've come to give you life. Abundant life. Maybe you followed the story of Roxana Saberi, this young journalist, uh, half Japanese, half Iranian, who went over to Iran. Very bright young lady who was arrested by the Iranian government. They accused her of being a spy this week. Maybe you saw her interview with Diane Sawyer. And in that interview, she said, well, what happened? Why were you sentenced to eight years in prison? And she said, I was sentenced to eight years in prison because they kept saying to me in this continual harangue, 
aren't you an American spy? And she said, the God whom I thought I knew, I felt like he had abandoned me. And in those moments, I just said, yes, I'm an American spy. And I confessed to that. And they put me on trial and they gave me an eight-year sentence. And she said, somewhere in my confinement, the God whom I thought had abandoned me came back to me. And it occurred to me that he was not very happy with me for telling a lie. And so the next time they interrogated me, I said to them, I recant my confession. I am not, I, I never was, and I never will be an American spy. And she said it made her interrogator so angry because they had gotten that confession out of her and now she was recanting that confession. And in a period of, uh, of months, she was eventually set free from her imprisonment with a lot of help from diplomatic efforts. And I, I would suggest even more help from the prayers of God's people around the world intervening on her behalf, she was set free. But to hear her words reminded me that if we want to live a life of peace with God, as he describes the priest, there must be no lie on our lips. God gives us this covenant of life and peace and we receive it. And what does Levi give in exchange? God said, what I wanted was reverence and awe for my name. And Levi, the priest, gave me that reverence and that awe. And I wonder, where is that sense of holy fear? And I've heard preachers, I suppose I've said from time to time, God doesn't want us to really fear him. It's really more of a a deep respect and reverence. But then I read Isaiah chapter eight this week, which says, you are to fear the Lord. I've been reading in the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus himself said, don't be afraid of the person who can kill you. Be afraid of the one who can kill you and cast your soul into hell. And it occurs to me that it takes more than just a a mild respect to honor the Lord. We must live with the fear of the Lord or we will not live for him at all. And he invites us to live in this This holy fear, not unlike the fear that people feel when they look down the 6,000 feet over the precipice of the Grand Canyon. They are drawn by its beauty, but simultaneously, desperately concerned that they do not want to fall in. Somebody says the first Native American who ever went to the Grand Canyon likely lashed himself to a tree, lest he slide into that beautiful chasm. And our God is great And he is holy and his beauty arrests us and invites us into relationship with him. But he is not to be trifled with. And I only say this because of the resident irreverence in our culture that has made its way into the church. And I read again Psalm 1 verse 1 that says, Blessed is the one who who does not who does not walk in the way of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of mockers. And I don't remember a time in my 25 plus years of being a pastor where there's been more mockery and more scoffing within the church. Those who trivialize the holy, who play marbles with diamonds, as it were. And my word to you is, his word was, if you don't set your heart to honor my name, you will have egg on your face. You will have awful. And I don't have time to explain awful. Let me just say, it's awful. You don't want any part of awful. And what he's saying is, you, and, you must choose to honor my name and I will honor you. And to live a life of reverence is to not 
sit in the seat of the scoffer. And I've been in the company of ministers who, when they leave the presence of their congregations, have a very different disposition and attitude. And I've made a commitment to myself not to sit in their council because it is not a good place to be. And I'm not saying to you don't spend time around unbelievers because we have to spend time around unbelievers in order to win unbelievers to Christ. What I'm saying is if you know somebody who's a believer who mocks the things of God, that's not the person you need to be spending your time with because it will eventually influence you. And there is this sort of joking disposition about the things of God these days. My friend Kerry Tillman tells about a a great clown, a world-renowned clown, whenever the big top was put up and he was in town, everybody went to see him and they would slap their knees and they would hold their sides and they would laugh until they cried when he performed his act. He was the best of the best. And one day, the, the ringmaster said, there's a fire in the corner of the tent. You need to stand and ask the people to be dismissed. And he stood to explain to them the crisis and they slapped their knees and they held their sides and they laughed until they cried. And many of them were harmed that day because when he tried to speak with the voice of a prophet, all they heard was the voice of a clown. And John Calvin said, it would be better for me on my way up the stairs to trip and break my neck than to preach one thing and live another. We must walk in the way of the truth if we are going to turn other people from sin. Only when we live the truth can we lead others to the truth. And what we see in verses 6 and 7 is that this true priest does exactly that. True instruction is in his mouth. He, verse 7, he preserves knowledge. That's his role, to preserve the knowledge of the truth so that he may proclaim the knowledge. So verse 7 says the, the priest is the one who so speaks the truth that others when they seek the truth will come to him because they want to know what to do and how they are to live and they will seek instruction because they know that he's a messenger of the Lord Almighty and I want you and I to play that role to each other. Verse 6, for true instruction to be in our mouths as Jonathan Edwards who ministered in Northampton, Massachusetts back in the, uh, in the 18th century and after 27 years of ministry there after preaching the, the sermon Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God the people put up a bronze plaque in memory of their pastor of 27 years and they inscribed on it the words of verse 6. Let me read it again. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips and he walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from their sin. He preserved the truth so that he could proclaim the truth and as he walked in peace and uprightness he turned many from their sin and I want you to know that this is the measure of the ministry of Tallowood. I know we go about it in many different ways and God's given us many different gifts. But if what we are doing in this place is not turning other people away from sin, we are not fulfilling our calling as priests to one Another, And I've been concerned about this in these days. And God has drawn my attention to James chapter 5, verse 20, which says, If any one of us turns another one of us away from sin, we have delivered a soul from death. 
This is our ministry. And I've come to the place with the psalmist in Psalm 141, verse 5, when he says, If a righteous man strikes me, I will take that as a kindness. If a fellow Christian will hold me accountable, I will take that as a gift. Lest we be found like myriad ministers in the news who made choices that not only devastated their lives, but continue to wreck the lives of others. I had, I had the opportunity once in ministry to follow a man who had made some very bad choices. And I can only say this morning that the choices he made, which disqualified him from that position of service in ministry, over a period of time led a number of other of his good friends in our congregation to do the very same things he had done. And our ministry is to turn people away from sin. And what if those who follow us become like us? What if the only kinds of disciples we make are the kinds of disciples we are? I found it in a book recently preparing to share with our staff, a book that Jerome gave me, a book by D.L. Moody, a story of a certain Dr. Gibson about whom I know nothing else except that he said, we can find out who in the congregation is really thirsty if we... If we came walking down the aisle with a bucket filled with cold water, cold, clean water, the people who were actually thirsty would come running to the one who had the bucket of pure cold water. If I could put it in our terms, if if somebody came down the aisle with a bucket filled with with ice-cold bottles of water, the ones in our midst who were thirsty would make their way to that person. But Gibson said, but if that same messenger walked down the same aisle with an empty bucket, not one person would move. And we would never know who was thirsty. You want to know how to pray for me? How to pray for us? Pray that we will never walk into this place with empty buckets. Because Jesus asked on the day of the great feast, Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? Come to me, he said. Because whoever believes in me out of his very being will flow rivers of living water. Do you need a priest? Are you a priest? Would you pray with me? Father, help us, I pray today, to hunger and thirst for righteousness because your word promises that to those who do, you will give this gift that we will be filled. And Lord, we're tired of being empty. Tired of running on half full. Ready to be filled with all the fullness of God as your word promises. Forgive us for times we have walked out the door of our houses to a world that lives in a barren desert carrying our empty buckets. Make us priests to one another. Let us preserve the truth so that we may proclaim the truth. In Jesus' name.